This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, it's Ben. And it's Ashley. And we want to let you know that choking is the fourth leading cause of accidental deaths. LifeVac is the easiest, safest, and only non-invasive choking rescue device that can save the life of your loved one. Visit LifeVac.net and enter promo code ALMOSTFAMOUS to save 20% and secure your home kit today. That's LifeVac.net and enter promo code ALMOSTFAMOUS. Ashley, is it true that some contestants have cashed in their 401k to afford a new wardrobe for The Bachelor? I mean, you do need a lot of ball gowns when you think about it, Ben. Where did you hear this? On Smart Money Happy Hour. It's a podcast where two money experts, Rachel Cruz and George Camel, talk totally unfiltered about life, pop culture, and how to afford it all. With 90s nostalgia and reality TV fandom mixed in, of course. Ooh, you do not have to say more to get me into this. To check it out, you can search Smart Money Happy Hour and listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, ladies, let's be real. Who here actually enjoys shaving their legs? Yeah, absolutely no one. I know this. Get this. Nair, yes, Nair, the OG, has leveled up. They've got these new sensational shower creams and body creams that smell absolutely amazing. I know this is not the smell that you're thinking of from the 90s when your mom first pulled this out for you. These smells will light up your bathroom, honestly. They'll make your shower experience better. It smells like a spa, actually. Oh, yeah. And how do you know this? Well, I just, I mean, Nair's in the household. So anytime Nair's used, it smells like a spa. You probably don't even know what it does. It takes hair away. <laughs> it works in as little as three minutes. You don't have to bother with nicks, cuts, shaves, and the smooth lasts so much longer than shaving. You're also not going to have to deal with any of those shave bumps or anything like that because the bumps are just as annoying as the nicks, right? Nair's new sensational shower and body creams are free of all the nasty chemicals like phthalates and sulfates. So you can feel good about what you're putting on your skin and you could have a little bit of a me time moment with Nair, the number one hair removal brand. Smell for yourself. And as Ben, Ben smelled for himself and he likes it. It's Ben approved. Try the reformulated Nair body and shower creams available at retailers nationwide and online. This is the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous Podcast with iHeartRadio. We have a very special guest today, somebody who has only been on the podcast once, way back in the day, like right after the season was completed. Somebody that I look up to a lot, I respect in the work that he does, uh, somebody that I enjoy following on Instagram, somebody I'm very excited to have on the Almost Famous Podcast. Ashley, I know you are as well. This has been somebody we've asked to bring on for weeks now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the perfect person to do it in depth with because I do truly feel like there's a lot of depth to him and he has a lot of backstory. It is Zach Clark. Hey, Zach, welcome to the podcast. What's up, guys? Am I super embarrassed? I was on before. Yeah. Okay, I so I actually like have to, we'd have to really go back, but I do think that you probably came on with Tasha and you like did. an after you did, like what, like right as you were announced in like a speed press round. Yeah, a whole different life for you, buddy. Okay. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll. He believes I'll trust that. You guys on that. Okay, yeah, I, I don't it. even We're trust good. ourselves here because I'm like kind of torn on this. I know it to be <laughs> true. 
Okay. All right. So, Zach, um, we we're really excited to have you here. When we do in-depths, we, like, kind of start with people's childhood and up. <laughs> so, are you ready? Let's, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. A lot, of, a lot of childhood stuff, you know? Yeah. So, tell us about, like, where you grew up, what your family dynamic was like based on the show. It seems like you have, like, the most warm and wonderful family. Um, where, tell us about it's it. It's so crazy you asked that. I was just talking to my sister. Yeah, like it was like a white picket fence upbringing. And yeah. if you look, saw the Clark family from the outside, you'd be like, oh, they're the perfect like American dream family. But when you really dig in, there's like substance use and eating disorders, anxiety and, and all this shit, right? So you just never know what's going on. I mean, I, look, I grew up in, uh, in South Jersey. I'm one of five kids. My parents are still happily married. So they've been an amazing example for me for my entire existence. Um, and like, I have no notes on my upbringing. I mean, I always, I like when I, when people ask me about my high school experience, I always kind of say it was like that dazed and confused, you know, like, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but like, you know, played three sports and drank in the woods on the weekends and chased girls and ran from cops and had a lot of fun. Um, I don't really like, there wasn't a lot of trauma. There was no reason why I, you know, became a drug addict or whatever happened, but, um, I did, you know, and that's why I'm so passionate about talking, talking about it however many years later. You know, it's interesting because you say that and um, I think, you know, our, our stories are different, but similar in a lot of ways. Like I had a, an amazing upbringing and yet found myself addicted as well. Um, and, and there's been moments, obviously, in that, Zach, that I felt, uh, I don't know what, what the emotion around it is, guilty, sometimes confused, like how did that happen to me? Uh, you know, I, at times, like, I'll be honest, I'll just say it. Like, I wish I had a better story. Like I wish, like I was at times like almost envious of not having this like really gritty, like terrible upbringing where I'm like, yeah, that's why I did what I did. Or that's how I got to where I got. Um, do you ever feel that? Or when you look at that kind of childhood, uh, that you grew up in, um, like, how do you view it? I guess in the lens of now looking back on it. Yeah, no, I've I've definitely felt that, and kudos to you, man. I read a I read a little bit about your story, and, I, and and likewise been following you. And I just love that we get to do this thing kind of shoulder to shoulder, um, and and talk about it. And the truth is, like when I when I got sober, someone sat me down because I was like, dude, I don't know. Like, there's parts of my story that don't seem so interesting. I mean, it gets definitely it's gnarly at some point, but he looks me back in the eyes, like, dude, the truth is the truth. He's like, the good news now is all you have to do is is be honest, mm. right? And so, like, I. I've tried to lean into that. Um, but if you, you know, looked at the town I grew up in, I mean, it's like a country club town in South Jersey, right? Like I didn't want for anything. I had the nice baseball bat. I had the nice glove. I, you know, there was always food on the plate. Right. And like, sure. Like I could have dressed it up and, and bullshitted people about my upbringing, but I, I'm proud of that today. And like, I lean into that, I guess is really the name of the game. Well, you said that there was darkness and, alcoholism and, and anorexia and all that. So when did that start b playing in? So, so my sister's very open. She had an eating disorder and that was kind of like, I, I remember that back. Like I remember dropping her off to those appointments when I was in high school, right? Like mom would drop me off at sports practice and she would go see her therapist. And that was like all like over, over my head. Uh, you know, my, my older brother, I would say like maybe has a little workaholic perfectionism or workaholism. And, and then there's me, right? Like I, 
I think for the most part, like had a good high school experience, got into college, played college baseball, but I just always loved to party, you know, and it just, it, 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 it was the most important thing in my life. Like if I knew that I had a drunk coming, that's all I really cared about. And it didn't really add up for me until, uh, until I got this brain tumor and ended up in surgery and they started pouring pills down my throat, right? Like that's when it really was like pouring gasoline on the fire. But, um, I think, I think like, I, I you know, I, I think I like to say like, I've done a lot of work and I've looked at my childhood and, you know, I would tell you that like in my household, we didn't, we are a loving family and we always joke, but we, we, we don't really have those conversations where like, there was never the birds and the bees talk. There was never like the talk about don't do drugs. It was kind of just like, kind of figure it out on your own. And I don't know if that was just my parents way of, of parenting or whatever it was, but um, it's definitely interesting to look back at it now. And then in my work, right. Like I, I see all these families come into my care and I'm like, Ooh, I, I know that because that's what it felt like for me growing up or, or whatever like that. So um, I don't know. I could talk about this stuff for hours. Well, good thing we have a lot of time with you then. Um, the so for those that don't know, because you know, I think that uh, I think unfairly to you uh, when you're on the show and then post show, um, you know, people really grab gravitated and hold on, held on to the story that you were a um, recovered addict. Uh, and that you had that story, but what they missed in that is kind of uh, how that started, and that was with a brain tumor, where uh, the medicines and the the pain pills and these things kind of were given to you through the medical profession. And so, if you don't mind, uh, kind of giving us that story of you know you played college baseball, and then at what age did you find out that you had a brain tumor, and how did that kind of go through you know process? Yeah. Yeah, it's and this is all. So I actually celebrate twelve years tomorrow. So this is all congratulations. Yeah, yeah. So it's all like I'm. I'm. It's that time of year where I'm feeling all the feels. But um, so I appreciate that we're we're talking about all this stuff. So look, I don't, I don't blame doctors. I don't blame the medical profession. I think we've come a long way since that experience as a society. Um, But I will tell you that free surgery, like, definitely love the party. Definitely wasn't afraid of a bong hit. Definitely dabbled in pills and coke and all the shit that you kind of do in in high school and college. And then I graduate college and I'm living this whatever normal existence. I get my first job. I'm dating my college sweetheart, and and life is kind of good. Aside from the fact that I'm probably blacking out like three, four times a week. So prior to the surgery, I already had these tendencies, right? Like I already there was something inside me and, and, and I'm, and I'm very aware of that. And what happened was it was Memorial day weekend. So it was the beginning of summer. Me and my college buddies had, had rented a house down the Jersey shore. We were going to go, you know, party for the weekend and we were packing up the cores and the car. And I just, I hadn't been feeling good for a couple of weeks. And I said to them, I was like, guys, I gotta, I gotta try and figure this out. And I, I literally, I remember calling this x-ray place, which is kind of like your side of the road, suburban kind of strip mall x-ray place. And I, I made an appointment. I, I literally was like a drive in. I drove in and this sweet x-ray technician or whatever you want to call it came back after she had taken a few scans and she, she was white as a ghost and I could just tell something was wrong. She's like, you're not, you're not moving. I need to basically call an ambulance. And so from that moment, 
within the next 24 hours, I'm at University of Penn Hospital in Philadelphia getting this tumor cut out of the back of my head. And there was no like pre-op, there was no conversations like we got to get this thing out of here and we got to, you know, worry about it after the fact. So I go from, you know, I'm going down the shore with my friends to, you know, having this life-threatening surgery in a matter of 24 hours. So I don't know what the hell is going on. Uh, And I remember waking up in the ICU, like, you know, butt naked, like with all these things, like tied into me and they're just pumping me with meds. Right. And I, I remember thinking to myself, like, there's no way that I kind of feel this good after having that just happened to me. And it clicked in my mind that the meds were, were doing that for me. And so, you know, I spent whatever it was a couple of weeks in the hospital. And the one thing I will say, there was never a doctor that came in and said, Hey, these are the meds we're putting you on, you know, this is what they do. And this is what you have to watch out for. They kind of just gave it to me and and I got out of the hospital and I finished off my prescriptions and I started to probably feel a little bit of those withdrawal symptoms. And I, I took to the streets. Like I, I started buying drugs on the streets and from there it was kind of like off to the races. Mm. Crazy. So quick. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, you know, that uh, you kind of went off to the races, I think get it going to the streets, you know, for me, I had my very first high school start at quarterback. Big deal for me. Blow out my knee. Yeah. You know, like four plays in, just to totally destroy my knee. Sports are done. Like I'm, I'm done. That and was it. That was it. Like never again. All three ligaments. Like I never recovered. I came back and but just was like a shell of myself athletically. Um, and it was the identity switch for me. Like it was the hey, this is the thing I've known. This is what I've been known for. This is what I thought my future looked like. Uh, now I'm just a student and a pretty poor one at that and really have no clue what life is going to look like. And so the, the, the medicine started there, like the painkiller started there and then they numbed me like that. Emo- like as soon as I got off of them, then all of a sudden I started to feel that like depression and um, I started to feel the identity switch. And so the pills numbed my senses and kind of made me feel non-existent, which is what I was looking for. Um, and, uh, and that's where the addiction started. And then the, obviously I had hit the streets as well. I know what that looks like, uh, hitting the streets, uh, for when me, was it, what year was this? So that, uh, started in 2008, ended in 2012. Yeah. Yeah. We were out there. I mean, same. Yeah. So Crazy. the, you know, for me, at least my hitting the streets look like this stealing, um, and then obviously buying wherever I could. Uh, for those that are listening, obviously you do this per, for a profession now. And I think for me, as I've walked through this journey, it's all—it's been really good to talk about it because I think it a lot more people than we understand are dealing with this. What did that look like for you hitting the streets? Like what kind of things could you share and, and warning signs maybe for family and friends? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's heavy and I appreciate you sharing, bro. And it's like, this is why I do what I do. Cause I get to share openly with guys like you about that people hear and probably over dramatize, but really it's just a part of our story. And we, we choose to lean into that. And I think my truth about podcasts in general is I don't like get super excited for them or love them. But if we help one person today, that's really, it was all worth it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like at the end of the day, that's, that's what I really truly believe. And my experience has told me that when I do these things, typically the DMs start flying in and we start to help some people. Um, You know, for me, one, it has absolutely changed in the last 10 years, 
if I was out there now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be alive just because fentanyl, which is the synthetic opiate that's being put in all these street drugs. And it's basically 50 times stronger than the painkillers you and I did. Right. So people are dying left and right. I mean, you see the Narcan up here on my shelf. I mean, I carry that shit everywhere because you just never know. Um, but for me, you know, what it looked like is I obviously had a lot of guilt and shame around the fact that I was hooked on drugs. So I didn't want anyone to know about my habit. Uh, initially, I found a drug dealer in town that sold pills. And I managed to kind of keep that habit going for, I would say, about a year after the surgery where, you know, you wake up, you text a drug dealer, you go, you buy your whatever head stash for the day, you take them, you do them. And it's a crazy cycle because what started as swallowing pills turns into snorting pills and then I'm smoking pills and it's just like the progression. Right. And at every step along the way, I was, I was resetting my tolerance. Yeah. Um, as you probably know, right. Like you go from taking a five milligram perk to taking, you know, a hundred milligrams of, uh, Oxycontin in a day, like whatever it was for me, that's what it was for me. And, And then beyond, uh, you know, and then what happened was I ended up in rehab for the first time. And while rehab saved my life, eventually, I will say that the first time I was in rehab, I I learned about heroin, I learned about other drugs, I got super curious, I knew that I wasn't done. So I got out of treatment and tried to find pills, couldn't. And Oh no! Well, what happens? I, I found pills. I started doing them. I was like, okay, like this is becoming too expensive too quickly. And then I, I went and bought a bag of heroin for the first time. And again, that reset my tolerance. And a bag of heroin is ten bucks, right? Whereas a pill, I was I was paying fifty, sixty dollars a pill. Um, and then I kind of lived that way for a certain period of time. And then that's when the needle came into play, and I started shooting drugs. You know, so it's like it goes from this crazy brain tumor. To hooked on pills, to it's an expensive habit, to in rehab, to it's an even more expensive habit, to to heroin. And that's why I always say, like, you need to normalize that word because, you know, I say heroin to someone and they look at me like I have four eyes, when in reality, it's, you know, more people are doing it than you realize. Mm-hmm. What keeps baby skin healthy? a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. That's why Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to help keep your baby's skin dry and healthy. We have been a Pampers family since the start with Dawson. It takes you a few months of experimentation to figure out what really works, and for us, Pampers really works. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic, and they're free of parabens and latex. All that, so important. Try Swaddlers with the new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin, for trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Want to know where all the spring savings are this year? Ross, you'll find huge deals on all the latest spring trends. At Ross, you'll find brand names for 20 to 60% off department store prices. You're definitely finding your next favorite outfit. We're talking about savings on your favorite shirts and tops. And I mean, every style for spring. There's something for the guys too. 
with deals on brand name shirts. And you can get outside this spring with savings on outdoor tableware. Seriously, just visit your nearest Ross and see for yourself. If you really love savings, head to Ross today. So what are you waiting for? Say yes for less at Ross. Hey, it's Ben. And it's Ashley. And we want to let you know that choking is the fourth leading cause of accidental deaths. LifeVac is the easiest, safest, and only non-invasive choking rescue device that can save the life of your loved one. Visit LifeVac.net and enter promo code ALMOSTFAMOUS to save 20% and secure your home kit today. That's LifeVac.net and enter promo code ALMOSTFAMOUS. You wake up with a scratchy throat, congestion, runny nose, and cough. You know your body. You know you're getting sick. Your choices are tough it out, get sick, take some time out from work, hope the doctor can see you this month, or wait two hours at urgent care, and you can sit in a room full of sick people, or you can open your medical emergency kit, match your symptoms to the doctor's recommendation prescription. It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. It has strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you'll know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in here. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door and you get 15% off at twc.health/slash famous. You can use the promo code FAMOUS. That's promo code FAMOUS at twc.health slash FAMOUS. How did you get into that rehab? Was there an intervention with your family? Uh, Great question. So the first time I went to rehab, it was... So I was married previously. I got married in June of 2009 to my college sweetheart. And... She saved my life. I will say that here on the record. Um, and we, we were basically married for a year. She knew that I loved to party and that something was off. Um, but she also loved me, right? Because um, we're, we're lovable people. And then in, so it was like October of 2010, the wheels were, were starting to come off and like the, the 3000 foot overview of my life is I'm newly married. I'm living in this house and like the, the town I grew up in, we have this little dog that's running around and you know, there's like two cars in the driveway. I'm working. She's a teacher on the outside. Again, it looks like we had this pretty normal life, but behind the scenes, I'm hooked on pills. I'm building like massive gambling debt and my entire life is a lie, right? And I'm starting to get disconnected from the people in my life that, that mean the most to me. So that story is actually pretty hilarious. My wife and uh, mom were out at a bar, classically, in, in the town of Haddonfield where I grew up. And one of my friends actually went up to them and told them that I, was, that I had a drug problem. So my mom came home to my house. I'm like sitting there watching the Phillies game. And she's like, we, we know what's going on. I'm like, what the hell? What are, you, what are you talking about? She goes, we know you're hooked on drugs. So that night, I actually drove myself to a rehab that I had seen a billboard for on the side of the road, which is insane. I think I was their first and only drive-in customer ever um, because I just like, I didn't know what else to do, right? And so I slept in, that, in the parking lot of that rehab. I like knocked on the door of the detox. It's a hilarious story, actually, if you think about it. Like, you, don't, you can't just walk into rehab. 
Uh, and then I admitted the next day and I stayed for, for 28 days. And, you know, while it didn't stick, I learned a lot, um, that first time around. Yeah. Did you, uh, crazy. did you want to, I mean, when, when they confronted you, um, mm -hmm. I think there's a piece here I want to dig into a little bit. So I, I don't know if you've yeah. learned that you could, if you could speak to this, is there a healthy way to confront somebody um, who's an addict? Uh, did they do it? And I mean, typically people have no idea, right? Your mom and your, your wife find out and they come home and they're like probably freaked out. They're nervous. They're scared. And then they come home. And they're like, we know what's going on. Is there a way they could have done this better? Not that like they messed up, but is there a way they could have done this better? And then the second part of that is, were you ready to hear this from somebody you loved? So there's a couple questions there. Was I ready? I, there was a sense of relief when I found out that they knew because I had been living such a lie, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that it was out in the open, I did feel a little shift. I was not ready to be done drinking and doing drugs that that had never crossed my mind. Um, but I'm also like a mama's boy. I'm super sensitive. And so like when my mom walked through the door, I always respected my mother. And so I was going to listen and I, I, I felt it in my soul. Um, looking back, maybe if they had a professional or went about it in a little bit of a different way, could it have had a different outcome? I, I don't know. Um, the research actually suggests that the willingness that you go into rehab with has no bearing on whether or not you're going to stay sober or not. You know, like they, you, you hear a lot of times people are like, well, they got to hit rock bottom before they go in and, and get like, that's bullshit. Right. Like I've seen people turn their lives around who, you know, just wanted to turn their lives around, or I've seen people go to rehab kicking and screaming that end up with a really good outcome. So I don't, I don't really buy into that. Um, I think for like the listeners, if you're concerned about a loved one, obviously having a professional guide you is, is key because it removes the emotion from it, right? Like a family member, a spouse, a brother, a sister, it's just going to be emotional. It's just going to be too emotional. Right. And what I always say is like, for me, if there's a professional in the room and there's an intervention going on, I'm not going to use my kind of like, I'm not going to weaponize some of the shit I would usually weaponize against my family and my loved ones because I don't, I would be embarrassed to do that. Right. Like it kind of takes the air and the emotion out of the room um, because I don't want them to see me act that way. Right. Uh, so, but it all comes back to love and compassion and just making sure that the person who's struggling with their mental health or their substance use disorder is, is, is seen and heard uh, that that's so much of it. Uh, and I've done tons of interventions and sometimes they go and sometimes they don't. Um, typically if you stay on them though, they'll eventually ask for help. Who are the professionals? Dude. Like if somebody's out there listening to like, yeah, I, I, I'm in this scenario. I need to, I need to reach out to a professional to help me with through this with me. Okay. Yeah. You can DM. I mean, we have, look, I have a, like, so release recovery, my company here in New York, we have 70 something employees, trained interventionists on staff. I mean, we, we get these calls all day, every day. And if it's not us, then we will, you know, refer you out to the to the appropriate person and that's really been the blessing and the curse of this whole platform i guess you would call it that i've been given is that i have to be very mindful these days of when i post or when i put something out there because every time i do the influx of people kind of asking for help and, and wanting assistance can can be overwhelming and 
you know, like the, like the drug addict that I am, I want to help everyone and I want to, you know, do it all. And sometimes that's not healthy for me. So. Did you, um, do you find that there is like that you were hiding it? I mean, I'm sure I'm assuming that you were hiding your, your addiction symptoms. What did you do to hide it? And what should family and friends look out for in people when they're a suspect of it? I mean, and Ben, I don't know if you can relate to this, but we're pretty good. I was just going to say my first response is I don't think anybody would know. Really? No, they didn't. No idea. Like your behavior wasn't different because you just feel like you're in your normal state of mind when you're on it. I was probably like super, I was probably in a pretty good mood most of the time. Yeah. I mean, actually, if you look at me and Ben right now, right? Like two pretty, probably I would say like charming, charismatic guys who can like put a smile on and, and, and fake it. Right. So I think that's the life I lived for a very long time. And I was, a sh- I was fun to hang out with. Like, I mean, like if we went out on a Friday night, we were probably getting into something pretty, pretty exciting just cause whatever. Yeah. I mean, my parents, you know, obviously knew bits and pieces of this. My, the book that I wrote explains it in a lot more detail. And then the questions started to come out for that. You know, uh, some of the questions and in interviews I get is like, are you uh, ever upset with your parents for not like helping you more? And I'm like, no, because like one of my main goals was to keep the people I loved like not knowing about this. And so it would have been a really hard mystery or a really hard thing for them to crack when, you know, I wasn't letting them in on this secret or this thing that I was hurting with. And, and so I guess that's a good point too, maybe is like, if, you know, if you're sitting there, you're feeling shame and guilt as a family member or a loved one, because you didn't know, or you didn't ask the right questions at the right times. So that somebody that was hurting was, you know, it, you know, telling you about this, like, don't, don't carry that because, you know, as an addict, at least I was working really hard to keep it inside of me. Yeah. So you're saying that your mom and your wife were out at a bar, had no idea that you had these issues. And then somebody else came up and told them and that's how they found out. And that was the first time they had an inkling. Yeah. They were like sitting there swirling Chardonnay on a, (laughs) on a Thursday night. And, uh, it's funny, my buddy that actually outed me, I always laugh because he, I ended up putting him in rehab like four years later, so I got him back. But um, I, I, I credit him with being part of the reason that I'm here today because if he didn't do that, I don't, I don't really know what would have happened. And, and what I tell all family members, like the, the thing that I think is important for people to understand about behavioral health care, about substance use disorder, about addiction is that you know, if I had the cure, if I had the magic answer, I wouldn't be sitting on this podcast. I'd be flying around on my private checks. I would have sold the solution, right? Like if you look at heart disease and diabetes and some of these other diseases out there, you go to the doctor, they're going to tell you what to do. They're going to put you on medication. They're going to, you know, if you have cancer, like whatever it is, and you're as the patient going to follow those recommendations to a T because you want to live, right? Or you want to get your diabetes under wrap or you want to beat cancer or what, like, with this, I could go to a rehab or I could go to a therapist or I could go to a doctor and they could make five suggestions. And the, the addict in me is going to be like, well, I don't really want to do that. Um, I'll think about doing that. I'll probably go to rehab next month. Mm. So there's no blueprint on what really works here, which is why anytime I talk to a family, I make sure that they're taking care of themselves first because the most powerful thing that can happen is when the family changes right? Because so much of this is enmeshed in that family of origin and the way you grow up. And if the family can change and the mom can stop enabling or, or, or whatever it is, 
then the identified patient, so like me in this case, is going to realize that and I'm going to start to understand that my bullshit isn't working anymore and, and I'm going to be forced to kind of look at myself. Um, so a big part of this is like each family member or the wife or the spouse or whoever it is uh, taking care of themselves and them changing so that the whole family system can change, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. There's a um, there's There's so much here is that to break down and and all of it's important i I don't think we have time to talk through all the process you know but uh looking back uh you know i'm sure you have similar stories i've lost you know close friends my best friend in high school uh passed away due to fentanyl use uh when we were sophomores in college um so uh you know there's people out there right now who have lost loved ones and there's also i just had a a time this weekend I was with a group and one of the guys, uh, had just recently, uh, gotten sober, um, uh, from the same type of pills that I was, was using. And we're kind of chatting through it. Like how lucky are we, right? You said it earlier, like the amount of, um, pills I I was taking not to over dramatize it, but like, it's, it's scary for me to think about now. Um, it frightens me that that was what I was putting in my body and people ask me and I, and I want to hear your response, but they said, um, people ask me like, what does it feel like to be sober? Right. Or what does it feel like not to be using anymore? And I'm like, well, I don't know if this is for everybody's story. I want to hear mostly cause I'm curious, like the addict, like in me always wants a pill, like that has not gone away. Um, it's not like all of a sudden now I'm sitting here being like, no, this does not sound fun to me. Still the feeling I don't wish to have again, like that still sits inside of me. Uh, the, the difference now is the, there's decisions and tools that, you know, I've had to learn and implement in my life to not open up the bottle or to not get back there. So for somebody listening and for yourself uh, in your experience, um, somebody maybe feeling some shame because they've recovered and they're sitting there going, yeah, but I want it bad. Like, are they, are we alone in that? Like, am I, am I alone in that feeling or is that a common feeling? I think it's a common feeling. This might be where we differ a little bit. I think for me, the obsession to drink and drug was lifted at some point and I don't crave that. Uh, you know, the thing that's really interesting is that I've been, I've been working in behavioral health care now for the last 11 years. So I've seen so many cases come across my desk where, um, you know, they're, they're, and they're all just so different. They're all like, so your case is different than my case, which is different than the, you know, the gal sitting next to me. And um, that's why it's so important to kind of approach this thing with love and compassion, because your story is different than mine, right? Like, I, I don't know, like for me, I don't drink, I don't do drugs. I live this like completely sober lifestyle. I know other people in my life who, you know, have, have had a cocaine problem and they've been able to put the cocaine down and they can still have a glass of wine on a Friday night, right? Like I don't, I don't have that luxury because I'm convinced that that will lead me to, um, you know, other drugs. And so you're absolutely not alone, you know, in the fact that like you still have these cravings from time to time, I think where, and I can only use my experience where I go with it is that I look at the last 12 years of my life and, mm-hmm. and what I've been able to do. And my, my existence is next, next level. And I still get to do like one of my big things today is showing people that I still get to do some of the coolest this planet has to offer. I just don't have to drink and do drugs. And in my first year, you know, I didn't do those things, 
but like this last weekend I was up at Saratoga with my buddies from, from high school. Like we were at the horse races, we were you know up all night dancing the whole thing and, and they're partying their asses off and I'm right there with them. Um, just making a decision not to, to drink and do drugs. So um, there's that. And then the other thing I will tell you, like in your case or my case or anyone else who's kind of, you know, on this journey is there's a lot of like shame and stigma around this word relapse. So like, you know, maybe you don't do pills for five, six, seven, 10 years, and then you, you have a slip uh, and, and people really struggle to come back from that. And what I would tell that person is like, that little slip or whatever happened doesn't discount the the many years of work you did to get to that point. And, you know, at any point in time, you can get right back on and, 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 and stay sober for that day. So I don't know if that was helpful or if I yeah. answered your question, but that's kind of just, yeah. Everybody's story is different and there, there are different elements to everything. You know, I think the, the point that I was trying to make is like the, the shame and the guilt I, I, I would like to release from the people out there struggling or the family that feels like somebody's struggling because that was never helpful. Like the shame and the guilt was the stuff that I was trying to get, you know, rid myself from and one of the, you know, catalysts to the start. And so, um, I like that. I mean, I don't like that makes it sound like I'm, uh, that I knew going in or I was trying to push you in a certain direction. I am appreciating, I guess, as, as I listen to you, the, the normalization of these conversations and these words and these experiences because I think normalizing these experiences um, and allowing an open space to talk about it and a lot, uh, allowing a space for compassion and love um, would have been the only thing that would have helped me, at least uh, in my personal yeah. experience. It would have been the only thing that I would have felt comfortable being like, yeah, this is, this is where I'm at and this is, this is where, I, you know, where I don't want to go. What keeps baby skin healthy? a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. That's why Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to help keep your baby's skin dry and healthy. We have been a Pampers family since the start with Dawson. It takes you a few months of experimentation to figure out what really works, and for us, Pampers really works. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic, and they're free of parabens and latex. All that, so important. Try Swaddlers with the new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin, for trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Want to know where all the spring savings are this year? Ross, you'll find huge deals on all the latest spring trends. At Ross, you'll find brand names for 20 to 60% off department store prices. You're definitely finding your next favorite outfit. We're talking about savings on your favorite shirts and tops. And I mean, every style for spring. There's something for the guys, too. With deals on brand name shirts. And you can get outside this spring with savings on outdoor tableware. Seriously, just visit your nearest Ross and see for yourself. If you really love savings, head to Ross today. So what are you waiting for? Say yes for less at Ross. Hey, it's Ben. And it's Ashley. And we want to let you know that choking is the fourth leading cause of accidental deaths. LifeVac is the easiest safest and only non-invasive choking rescue device that can save the life of your loved one. Visit lifevac.net and enter promo code ALMOSTFAMOUS to save 20% and secure your home kit today. That's lifevac.net and enter promo code 
almost famous. You wake up with a scratchy throat, congestion, runny nose, and cough. You know your body. You know you're getting sick. Your choices are tough it out, get sick, take some time out from work, hope the doctor can see you this month, or wait two hours at urgent care. Then you can sit in a room full of sick people. Or you can open your medical emergency kit, match your symptoms to the doctor's recommendation prescription. It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. It has strong antibiotics for infections of all types, plus a doctor's easy guide so you'll know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in here. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door and you get 15% off at twc.health/famous. You can use the promo code famous. That's promo code famous at twc.health/famous. Zach, um Ben recently had knee surgery. How do you walk addicts through who have recovered into a time where they might need the drug again under medical supervision? Uh, case by case, really. Did you have to take pills then or no? I did. Yeah, I had my system. Um, but yeah, you know, if you have a, an answer to this, but yeah, I'd have my own personal system for that time. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways. I mean, we've had people in our care here at release that you know, two months into their stay in our, one of our programs, they need to get some type of major surgery done. And we, we approach that with extreme caution. You know, uh, the first thing I always say is like Advil and Tylenol is pretty damn good when taken correctly. And so let's try that and give that, uh, a shot. And if not, you need to take opiates or take pills to help you get through the pain. There's a way that, that we can do that. Obviously consulting with your doctor is, is a big thing there and being really open and honest with them about, you know, your previous experience being hooked on drugs and, and hoping that they have some bedside manner to be able to work with you on that. And then, you know, enrolling your loved ones, enrolling the people in your life that care about you. And for all this stuff, it all, for me, goes back to honesty. Like if, if I am honest, if Ben's honest, Ashley, if, you, if, if you're honest about whatever it is that we're going through, then we have a shot to get through it in a pretty, in a pretty safe and, and healthy way. Where it goes off the rails is, you know, someone gets surgery two months into recovery and, you know, they're managing their own pills and they're picking up the scripts and, you know, they're doubling down on the dosage. I mean, the, the dosages are there for a reason and the directions are there for a reason. And so trying to, you know, follow those things to the, to the best of your ability and, and, and leaning on your support group, you can absolutely get through it. Yeah. I mean, you know what I did and maybe it's helpful, maybe it's not for anybody is uh, my wife and my mom who are out here kind of caring for me for that first two weeks, they were in charge of my bottle. And then there was literally a day where I remember uh, looking at my mom and saying, I am enjoying this too much. Like, I don't need these anymore. Um, you need to take these away from me. Um, she had started to hit that. that already. Like, hey, you know, we're 10 days out and you're running through these things. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm enjoying this. Like, I I like this now. Um, it's probably best that I stopped. And we stopped. And as much as, you know, 8 o'clock would roll around, I'd be like, you know, what sounds really good right now is for her to go back up and get me. 
like they were in control of that and they had to say, no, here's, yeah, here's some Advil. He'll, here's some Tylenol. You'll be fine. Um, so it was the honesty. I think the honesty was just helpful. And, you know, we got through it well, I think is, you know, for me. And when I said it earlier, like maybe the addict always, at least I crave it at times in my life, um, a lot less than it used to be. Um, like, yes, it like saying it out loud, admitting it. Um, now that my family and my wife know that this was a part of my story, like, you know, they're not shocked. And I'm like, you know what I'd really, really feeling right now. And they're like, yeah, that's not an option. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not. So what are we going to do? Let's go for a run. Let's go for a walk. Like I got to get my mind off this. So it's the honesty and just kind of owning it a little bit, I guess for me, uh, has helped me, um, not have access to it or not want access to it or not fight for access to it. I relate to that so much. I love that your mom and, and wife were so supportive. And, and for me, it's like, it just goes back to this, like as a human being, I want to be loved, right? I want to be believed. I want people to like me. And so when I think about my childhood and kind of the way this episode or podcast started, you asked me about that. And I remember from a very young age, just wanting to be loved. Like that's it. And that, like the lying for me almost started before any addiction because I would tell people what I thought they wanted to hear if I thought it was going to make them like me more, right? And what I've learned in this experience over the past 12 years, when I just tell the truth, I'm actually a pretty decent, likable guy and I'm going to make mistakes like anyone else, but it just makes everything so much easier, you know? Mm -hmm. How did your first marriage fall apart? <laughs> to be blunt, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I could give you. I mean, you, you could guess at that one, but um, yeah. Well, one, I was twenty-five, and uh, I don't, I don't know that I even understood what marriage really was. I still don't know if I understand that. That's why I'm thirty-nine and single. But um, I was twenty-five, and I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for any of it. You know, she was an amazing woman. She was a school teacher, like could have a glass of wine, could not have a glass of wine, good, great family. And I just put, you know, they kind of say this thing in recovery, like whatever you put in front of um, your recovery, you're going to lose. Right. And it's like the other way around. Right. Like I, I put partying and drugs and alcohol above everything else. And so naturally that caught up to me and the real, the real fan, I get like a little emotional talking about it because she truly did save my life. So when I was in rehab the first time, so crazy to think about, uh, we did this like family group or whatever it was. And, and basically like me and my, my wife at the time, Jen made this contract and it essentially said like, if I got drunk or high again, she was going to leave me. And it's so hard for family members to honor those types of contracts. And I got out of treatment and I, I broke the contract and she came in the room and she basically said, this is it. I'm done. You know, I'm not doing this. She's like, I love you. I don't love this. And uh, her dad came down to the house that night when she figured it out. And like she stood so strong and uh, I needed that. I needed that. And, and that resulted in me kind of going on this eight month run when I knew she was really leaving, when I knew she was actually saying like the party's over. Um, that took me to some pretty deep, dark places that I had to get to. And, and ultimately 
back into rehab the second time. When you say, you know, the vows in sickness and in health, would you consider, what do you, what do you think about that and her leaving? I think she did the right thing. I think, uh, I don't blame, I don't blame her at all. I, I don't, I mean, and there's not, there wasn't even a moment early on where I blamed her. I totally understood it because I just wasn't, um, I think I've always been a good person. I don't think I was behaving in a good way. And, and there is no one on this planet that should have put up with that. And the reality is, is like my dad and my, one of my best friends, this guy, Anthony, were like the last two guys to kind of hang in, hang in with me. Um, most of the people were kind of deciding to do the same thing she did, which is like, this is too much. That's powerful because, you know, I remember, I, you know, I, I, I believe in a God above. And so that's part of my story as well. And I remember, um, you know, during this time, friendships were leaving and, you know, romantic relationships were ending and not necessarily they knew why, but I just wasn't, I was sketchy. I was a little bit like, I was lying half my life, I guess, uh, yeah. most of my life, hundred percent of my life. And then the prayer that I prayed, I remember I woke up one morning after making a really terrible decision and I looked myself in the mirror and I looked at myself in the eyes in the mirror, which I'd never do. Uh, it's a really weird thing to do. It's like stare inside your soul. And I just remember this feeling of that you're not the man you ever wanted to be. And so my realization mm-hmm. now, and so I prayed to God, God, please um, intervene um, if you're there. And and I believe God did. And that's my story. But the the interesting part of that looking back now is like I – the people that left me, I was never mad at. Like I was never like, you know, screw you. It was almost more upset with myself at times because I felt like, like I knew I wasn't a good dude. I thought I was, you know, people would say, you know, been so nice. Well, yeah, he's always really friendly. Um, but like in, in my heart, like I knew that I wasn't a good dude and, uh, or I wasn't behaving in a way that I wanted to behave, like make me the man that I wanted to be or I dream of um, was a thought that went through my head. And so, I, I relate with that. Do you believe you're a good guy today? Like, have you gotten, have oh, you come around? Um, I have a comfortable, I have a comfortable perspective on, on uh, myself, which means, do I think I am the perfect guy that uh, um, in my head I could be? No. Do I feel good about the way that I treat people? I treat myself, the honesty that I live my life with, the way that I treat my wife and my family and my friends. Yes. I feel very good about that. Cause I, my intention is really good now. I don't have these, yeah hidden secrets. Do I think I'm, uh, you know, the best dude? No, I have terrible moments, uh, but I can forgive myself now because they're true moments. Like they're not lying moments. They're not me trying to fake it. They're, they're honest. Um, and so that's what helps me, uh, I guess say, yeah, I'm human. Like I'm not perfect and that's okay. I'm good. Um, anything to that? I just think it's amazing. Like, I look at you, I see a cool guy. I think someone like someone I'd probably like to have a beer with or hang out with, you know, like whatever it is. And and I think for whoever listens to this or sees this, I think it's really powerful to just, and Ashley's like sitting over there, (laughs) but like to hear two guys going back and forth like this. And, and 
I always thought it was so weak to talk about my feelings or be honest mm. or like, you know, like I, I grew up in a home where it's like, you know, give me 20 pushups and take out the trash. Right. And that was like, that was toughness. Um, and now today I think it's tough to like hop on a podcast with you guys and just like lay it all out there and not give a shit what people think about it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the people that are judging me, I don't really care anyway. Yeah. The weird thing, Zach, I, I just selfishly and personally, I got to share this that, you know, I wrote this, part of my book and then it comes out and then like it became the interview that everybody wanted. People mm -hmm. magazine was like, Hey, let's talk about your addiction. It's like, this is, this is a big part of my life, but it's also a very small part of my life. Like this is four years of my life. This is not my complete story. And, uh, I remember this, I was, uh, visiting my family and, uh, we had just the night before kind of talking, talked through this and they were saying they were proud of me for speaking up on this and they believed it was important and all these things. And I was feeling great. And I uh, was like, you know, I got a great family. They love me. And I got a great wife. She loves me and they get it. You know, my in-laws were there and they love me. You know, they get it. And uh, People Magazine posted this picture of me and, you know, the headline was like, admits to addiction or something. And the comments were awful, man. Like they were, oh, you know, so sorry for Ben for having an addiction 10 years ago. Didn't we all like, uh, what a, what a headline grabber. And I like, it crushed me. It might've been the weakest like moment. I, I, I vividly remember sitting on the beach in Florida, looking out at the ocean being like, I mean, I get it. Yeah. It just, it like, it threw me in a place that I did not want to go back to. Um, and so I think as you're saying how important it is to speak openly about this. I believe it is. It, it did build some grit inside me where I said, no, screw it. Screw those people. Like that's not the people I'm talking to. That's not the people that need to hear this. Um, but it's also important, like you said, as you were saying to, to um, respect these stories with love and compassion, no matter where they are, what they're at or how, you know, how dramatic they seem or how undramatic they seem, they are human stories and we, and we need to, you know, respect them. And so, I share that to say, yeah, that sucked. That wasn't that long ago. That sucked. That was two years ago. Like I, it, it threw me in a bad place. You know, for me, it's an interesting thing that the show gave me a lot more confidence in my story than I originally had going into it um, because I was allowed to, uh, you know, I at some point just said, no, I can't, I can't be in an environment. And it was actually one of the producers, Alon Gale, came to me and said, hey, I don't like you because I don't know you because you don't let anybody get to know you. And I know there's more to you than what you're sharing. Mm -hmm. And that was a four hour sit down with him where I burst out and I was like, yeah, I feel unlovable. I feel unlikable. I feel like nobody knows me because I don't allow anybody to know me. Mm -hmm. And that gave me the confidence to then step out and say, no, this is, this is a story I want to share. And that was, you know, one of the parts I want to talk to you about here is you did go on this show. Um, you obviously have an under, you know, a, a depth to you and a story to you that is, is, is powerful, relatable, um, that isn't uncommon uh, amongst many and you said, hey, yes, I, I know this is a part of my story. I know this is uh, a part of my life. And I'm going to go on this show uh, and now make it public. I, I would love to hear kind of how this show affected you personally, if it was a positive or negative experience. If, you know, just walk us through kind of your yeah. time. Yeah, man. I mean, I don't know if I'm just feeling comfortable today, but like I, I don't talk about the show a lot and I don't know yeah. why. Um I don't know if I've like pushed that part of my life away. Like, I don't know. It's, I mean, obviously there was a relationship that didn't work out and I'm a super sensitive guy. So maybe that's, that has something to do with it. Uh, but I can tell you that 
I can tell you my thought process leading up to it, which it was the middle of COVID, right? And uh, I'm in New York. I'm 36. I'm living this beautiful life. I'm running this company. Like everything was good. Like everything was really good, you know, um, aside the fact that I probably worked too much and I didn't really put any time aside for to find a partner, you know, like I got sober and I hit the, I hit the ground running here in New York city and I was building this company and all this stuff. And the phone rang, you know, like it does for all of us, I guess at some point in time. And it was, it was LA calling and I'm like, I don't, what is this? You know, like what, what, what is this phone call? Um, and it was one of the producers and I said, lose my number. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> and then she got me. I remember um, Allie, she's like, is there any chance though? Like your sister, like, and like, I guess my sister had like gone on the whatever and like filled out this application. I was like, all right, tell me more. <laughs> and that's an example of like, that was my sobriety talking. That was my recovery talking. That was me saying like, okay, have an open mind and just like put one foot in front of the other. And then for me, the beautiful part was like, if I had to fly to LA and like sing and dance in front of a bunch of producers or like, whatever you got to do, like I, I was able to do all of it like virtually because it was COVID. And then in like, I mean, I think it was like six weeks. Um, and where I got to, it was like, okay, like the world is shut down. This is an opportunity I have to put the phone down and really see like, to your point, like if I'm lovable, if I'm capable of love. And I felt really good walking into it because I was very secure in who I was. And I had told my story plenty of times prior to that. So for me, I was just going to like, my promise to myself is I'm going to walk into this experience. I'm going to be myself and I'm going to try to be as authentic as possible. And when I think the biggest thing I'm proud of from that whole thing was watching it back and saying like, my friend saying like, that's you. Like that, we saw it like you, that is you, that is Clark. Like that is you on, on TV. And like, that's the biggest compliment anyone could give me because like, I'm sure people show up there and, you know, they try to act a certain way and they end up shooting themselves in the foot and it doesn't, it doesn't go well. And that's why like, I could start a whole nother thing about like, when I hear people say they get a bad edit or whatever, like that's foreign to me because like, I'm just, and maybe I got a good edit. I don't know. But like, what I say is like, no one can make me say or do anything. And so that was just who I was. And that's what yeah. I saw. Right. Uh, you know, so like, I, I, I don't know. That's just me. Zach, I, I was obsessed with you on the show. Like I was like <laughs> this, I am just obsessed with watching this guy. And I know the relationship's over and I know that you're not always comfortable talking about the show. You got me playing loose right now. You better ask now because I'm playing loose. Okay. If you could just kind of put yourself back in that situation just for a minute without knowing what comes of it. Yeah. When Claire left and Tasha came in, how did you mm-hmm. feel? Well, I think, I mean, if you ask anyone from my season, I was probably going home the next day if Claire stayed because there was like this comedy thing that I find just like, it didn't go well for Zach. Like I just had bad jokes. They weren't funny. I kind of like, unintentionally made fun of Claire in a way that wasn't so nice. Like my New York and Philly kind of came out. And so like, I was pretty sure I was going home. Like if there was like, and then she like runs off with Dale and then we're sitting there for, you know, whatever. And like, I will say about all these humans, I, I I love, like I've learned to love all of them. 
the guys, the girl, like everyone, because like, I feel like there's that common bond that we all share, and you know, no matter how messy it gets. Um, so I think for me, I was like grateful to kind of have this second opportunity, and I was just kind of settling in. Like I was kind of nervous and timid at the beginning, and um, you know, like night one, I didn't talk to Claire, and then I think I had like one maybe sit down with it, you know. So it was like it was all very foreign, and I hadn't really watched the show, so I didn't know the way that any of this shit was supposed to go. Um, you know, and then Tasha walked in and obviously she's beautiful and it's like this new, it was almost like this second opportunity. And at that point I felt a little bit more, you know, comfortable, just like it took me a moment to settle in. And, and, and from there, like, you know, it was a, it was a positive experience. What keeps baby skin healthy? A diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. That's why Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to help keep your baby's skin dry and healthy. We have been a Pampers family since the start with Dawson. It takes you a few months of experimentation to figure out what really works, and for us, Pampers really works. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic, and they're free of parabens and latex. All that, so important. Try Swaddlers with the new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin, for trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Want to know where all the spring savings are this year? Ross, you'll find huge deals on all the latest spring trends. At Ross, you'll find brand names for 20 to 60% off department store prices. You're definitely finding your next favorite outfit. We're talking about savings on your favorite shirts and tops. And I mean, every style for spring. There's something for the guys, too. With deals on brand name shirts. And you can get outside this spring with savings on outdoor tableware. Seriously, just visit your nearest Ross and see for yourself. If you really love savings, head to Ross today. So what are you waiting for? Say yes for less at Ross. Hey, it's Ben. And it's Ashley. And we want to let you know that choking is the fourth leading cause of accidental deaths. LifeVac is the easiest safest and only non-invasive choking rescue device that can save the life of your loved one. Visit lifevac.net and enter promo code almost famous to save 20% and secure your home kit today. That's lifevac.net and enter promo code almost famous. You wake up with a scratchy throat, congestion, runny nose, and cough. You know your body. You know you're getting sick. Your choices are tough it out, get sick, Take some time out from work. Hope the doctor can see you this month or wait two hours at urgent care. Then you can sit in a room full of sick people or you can open your medical emergency kit, match your symptoms to the doctor's recommendation prescription. It comes with doctor prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. It has strong antibiotics for infections of all types, plus a doctor's easy guide. So you'll know exactly what to take and when no waiting to see the doctor no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in here. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door and you get 15% off at twc.health/famous. You can use the promo code famous. That's promo code famous at twc.health/famous. 
this show's such a unique experience. And I think, uh, you know, Zach, I relate. Like, I feel like I got a good edit then. Or that, you know, when people watch it, they're like, yeah, that's the guy I know back home. Is is yeah. boring and as, you know, simple as I seemed, you know, my buddies were like, yeah, that's you. Like, we can we can watch you. And that gave me some confidence going into it. You know, I, I relate with your desire to go on the show. Also, you know, there is a secret hope inside of me that maybe I would have a cooler story to tell in my life to my friends. Hey, I went on the bachelor at one point, or I was the ba- on the bachelorette yeah. at one point. Like I thought that would bring some interest and intrigue to my life. And, um, there was also a side of me that was like, I just want, you know, to test myself. If like, I am the person that I think I am, or if I am still charming because I was 25 years old, 24 years old. I was two years out of this thing for me. And so I was still trying to figure myself out. Um, And that's why the show was so helpful when Alon and all of his wisdom and um, Alonness and um, said, hey, I don't like you. Only he met Alon. Yeah. And just said, I don't like you because I don't know you. And I was like, man, you're you're hitting some place I don't want to hit. And then, you know, everything comes out. You obviously now, um, and I know Ashley wants to dig in a little bit to the proposal uh, and to this, you know. But that's how I feel in this moment with you guys even talking right now. It's like, you know, where a lot like like something Ashley said, like made me feel comfortable talking with you guys about this. And I think like any podcast I go on, it's like, yeah, I'll talk about anything but the show. I'm like, what is that saying about me? You know, it's like that, that, that's like there's something there. Right. And I have to like, I can either look at it or, or not. And like, the truth is that show changed my life. And like, I do, you know, fly that flag when I, when I can, because it's allowed me to help a lot of people and, and have some pretty cool experiences. And, you know, you take the good with the bad in, in any situation. So I don't well, know. That was, I mean, that was my question to you is, you know, obviously you are more closed off to the show and, for me, it is such an important part of my life and it will always be a big part of my story because of the relationship that came from it and the relationship that ended from it. And then my journey to find my wife kind of offhanded through it and all these great things that have happened to me from it. Yeah. And I just wondered if you look back on your time now with the relationship over, um, obviously that came from the show and your job now and say, what has came from your experience on the show? Um, that, that was my question to you is when you look back now, like how, did, how has it changed your life? It's probably, I probably don't stop and think about it enough, you know, and give it enough, uh, give myself enough credit, mm. you know, like I don't, like if I'm being really honest with you, I think there's probably times where I'm like, you know, like kind of the stuff you were talking about earlier with like the guilt and the shame, like, I don't know, like, are other guys going to respect me as someone who went on this show, you know, like are other guys going to judge me? And like, at my core, I know that that's just me giving my power away to some bullshit narrative. That's not true. Um, Cause it did take a lot of balls to like show up there and like lay it all on the line. And so um, how has my life changed? I mean, I think, I think in a lot of ways, you know, everything from like this weekend, like being out with my friends who have known me for 20 years and someone asked for a picture and they're like, dude, this is just so crazy. Like, I just yeah. don't, it doesn't like to them. It's still very like every time it happens, like it just doesn't make sense because I'm just Zach to them, you know? And like, um, to like having some unbelievable, like 
just experiences, like the things that I've gotten to do that I, that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten to do. But the real way I think that it has changed my life is a lot to do with what we talked about today, which is I have been able to, you know, get really comfortable telling my story. I think I've had more people write me, tell me that I've, I've changed their life or saved their life. And I, I don't give that enough credit. And to your point, Ben, like, um, you know, I, I believe like I grew up Presbyterian, but I believe in God. My God might be a little bit different than your God or Ashley's God, but I believe in God. And I believe that it was meant to happen for this purpose that I could get out there and, and, and show people that there's another way to live. And if I can do it, then anyone can. You know, that's really at the end of the day, like the simplest answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, just to put yourself back in that position, yeah. like thinking about your time on the show, um, for me, I just loved watching you guys fall in love. Um, I have been open that I love charity and dot in season, but the one that made me feel before that was yours. So there was mm -hmm. like a three year drought in that. Your proposal is something that I'll always remember. I think it was the last time I cried during a proposal. And I remember this one thing that you guys kind of shared together. You were like, every other love before this, like, this is like the first real, like, this is a love above any other love I've ever experienced. And this mm -hmm. was you saying this is a 36-year-old guy. So how do you look back on saying that and feeling that now, now that it's over? Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's a loaded question. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for asking. Um, you know, I meant it. I meant it at the time. You know, I felt it at the time. And, you know, like the thing I always say is like, two good people don't always make a good relationship. You know, and that's, I think my experience there, like for whatever reason, uh, there just was never like this. It just never, you know, like, like in the moment, I guess to answer your question, like in the moment it felt, it felt real, it felt right. It was all those things. And, you know, I wouldn't change anything. I'm I don't live in regret. Um, you know, it's a very special moment in time in my life, regardless of what happened. And I think that's, I think that's a full answer. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Give me the things that are real. Is, is one of the things I like to live by. And that obviously this show, you know, for as goofy as it is and for as uh, wild as it is and for as um, disrespected as it can be fairly uh, by the public, there are moments within it that are real and that we, you know, talk about here that cross into reality. Like the show come, becomes a part of reality. And I think for you, as we watch that, it, it was real. And I think um, hearing you say, yeah, it was, is like uh, not only comforting, it's just um, exciting for me because it's one of the things that we like to stand on here is, hey, this is going to affect your life, good or bad. Yeah. If you're not yourself, it's going to affect your life. If you are yourself, you're gonna, it's going to affect your life. If you fall in love and you're honest about it, it's going to affect your life. Um, it's just going to be a part of you uh, because it's a time in your life. You're not like leaving you know, the world uh, to, to do this. Uh, and so I think uh, for me, it's exciting for you to, to admit to that because a lot of people don't or a lot of people, you know, hold on to an anger or vengeance or say, hey, like I was just confused and it was too fast, too soon, all these things. It's like, well, you felt it at the time. And so that shows you something. Yeah, I'm, I might be in the minority. Like 
I would never blame a producer. I would never like, I'm a big boy. Like I said, what I said, I did yeah. what I did. I meant it all. Like, and, uh, you know, to your point guys, it's like the number one question I think I get asked from people that like meet me and then they think they have my ear for a second. It's like, well, was it real? I'm like, it's real for me. Like every moment yeah. was real. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. from sitting in between filming and like, it was all real, you know? Yeah. Part of a TV show, but like real, I was there. I did it. I said it. Those things happened. Like it was very real for me. Um, so much so, uh, that, you know, maybe that's why I don't talk about it as much, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, on a lighthearted note, another thing that you guys could bond over is the fact that you are like a try you do you do triathlons but you do marathons you run a ton this guy runs a ton he's about to do a triathlon you this are? is something that is so beyond me yeah i'm about to do a triathlon in october um, a full no goodness no i'm not ready for that I, my goal is a full next year at 35 will be my first full i've been doing sprints for years uh which are is a whole new training um I'm if you shoot. commit to a full i'll commit to a full with you this swimming scares the shit out of me though uh, let's do a full together. I, I think right here, um, somebody's going to listen to this and have a, a, a connection to a full. And uh, I, I want to put it into my life. Bad knees and all, I want to put it into my life. If you're in, I'm in. I got buddies that are training for him now. It's insane, but yeah. Does running and recovery have a lot to do with each other? I think the running community is very similar to the recovery community and that it's just a, a group of really good people kind of coming together around a common bond and uh you know they're just like my people like the running community are just the nicest kindest people i think for me from a mental health perspective running i would be terrified if i ever got hurt because there are many 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 days where you know the prayer is not working the meditation isn't working like something's just off um and i go out for a run to clear the mind because that is just a tool that I've picked up over the years and has really, really helped me. Like the, the cheesy saying I think is like move, move a muscle, change a thought, but that shit works for me for real. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's never been, you know, I, I have friends and people that I know who um, have had some type of mental health uh, or addiction things happen in their life. And uh, you know, exercise is a, is a good way for them to kind of cope with it. For me, it's never been a coping me- mechanism. Honestly, why, why I exercise every day is because at 34 years old and at 24 years old, I want to be in the better shape next year than I was this year, just so I can function and be like, kind of like, I'm, uh, I have a big enough ego where I'm like, I just, I, I, I want to be in better shape next year than I was this year. I'm not allowing this to catch up with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's more of my drive is like, I feel better about myself. Um, but it's never, those two things haven't ever really related with me. Um, I didn't, one wasn't a response to the other. Ashley, are you a runner? Are you a runner? Uh, I'm not. I wish I could be an exerciser. I just am not. Um, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I haven't done it so since jealous. before. My my son was born. I was in the best shape of my life, working out like four to five times a week, and it just dropped off after that. I feel like he himself, as like a thirty pound weight, is enough exercise for me around the house all day. That's fair. That might be my stock yeah. answer. I, I really wish I could be an exerciser, but it's just not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for me. It's not for me. <laughs> you guys are honestly inspiring me. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm feeling the way that I did in my body after a workout. It is a good feeling. I'm going to totally switch the topic right now because I know we have to wrap up, but I think this is a really important note to hit on, and then I'm going to let Ben and you have your final moment. Um, 
Narcan is something that is behind you now and something that is so important these days as it well you can tell the people what it does and what do you what do you think about like people just carrying it even if they're like not at all in the environments in which fentanyl would be present yeah yeah i think the easiest so so the real quick is narcan is an overdose reversal drug so if someone is overdosing uh, you spray it up their nose and it helps reverse the effects of an overdose and, and can literally save a, save a life. I've, I've personally witnessed and know people that are alive because of, because of Narcan. And the reason it's out in front more is one, it's going to be over the counter starting in September, which is a huge, huge, huge twin. Just means you can walk into a, a pharmacy and buy it. Uh, two, we lost over 70,000 people last year to opiate uh, related overdoses and over a hundred thousand people to overdoses in general. So it's, it's clearly affecting, uh, our country and three with fentanyl out on the streets, fentanyl, as I described earlier is a synthetic opiate. So it's man-made it's 50 times stronger than any other opiate you're going to find out there. And literally like a salt pebble could send someone into, uh, an overdose. And, And what's happening is that fentanyl is being put into, not just fake pills, but into marijuana, into cocaine, into drugs that, you know, you show up as a college freshman and you see your first line of cocaine like I did and you do that, there's a chance that that could be laced with fentanyl. So it's not just about substance use disorder. It's about just living in the world. Um, Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, so the easiest way for me to explain it to your question about like, hey, do you just carry this around? I would say that most homes in America have uh, a fire extinguisher, right? And I, I looked it up because I'm going to do a reel on this because I think it's genius, but yeah. I looked it up and there's like, you know, there were like 3,000 residential fire deaths last year in America, which is like a big number still and like scary, but every home in America has a fire extinguisher. Everyone knows what that is. I just gave the numbers about overdose, right? 100,000. And a lot of people don't even know what Narcan is. So Yes, you should have it. Yes, you should carry it around. If you need a way to find it or access it, you can certainly write me. Um, It's a huge passion of mine just because I know it's probably going to get better before it gets worse. But um, that's my that's my shtick on Narcan for right now. Quick follow up, because I'm thinking for the audience right now, I'm obviously a huge proponent of it. But I, I think that there's probably people wondering, well, if there's a overdose rescue drug isn't that just gonna encourage people to just continue with their addiction further uh you can't treat people that are dead good answer so keep them alive and good good answer you know show them some love and hopefully they can they can find it i mean that's why you know we could do a whole nother episode on the the multiple pathways to recovery and harm reduction versus like for me, like total abstinence to the guy sitting next to me that, you know, like Ben might've had a pill problem and is still able to have a couple beers on a Saturday night. Like there's, and they're all fine, right? They're all fine. As long as you're able to look at it with an open mind and, and love one another. So. Well, buddy, uh, thanks for coming on. Um, stay in touch. Yeah. And, thanks, uh, thanks for sharing this. You know, I, I, there's a few key points I want to point out. One, um, it's beautiful hearing it too, is, you know, for you not to over dramatize, uh, 
your path because I think it happens so often. And I think that's, uh, it can be dangerous for multiple levels. One family hearing it to the person, um, going through it, like the over dramatization of it can make it feel, um, a lot like just like a lot more chaotic than maybe it is. And then the, the other point I want to point out is just the consistency and coming to somebody with love and compassion and not always knowing how to do it well, but coming to them with love and compassion and, um, uh, is going to save many lives. And I, and I hope this podcast and the people listening hear this and they say, Hey, we always loved Zach. We watched him on television. Like Ashley did. We fell in love with Zach and we fell in love with his story. And yes, this was a piece of his story on the show, but it wasn't why we fell in love with him. We fell in love with him because who he is. He's a good looking dude. He's charming. He's nice. Uh, you know, he was open. He was honest. He was vulnerable. All of these things. <laughs> Um, but then we respect Zach for what he's doing now, what he did before. And, uh, I do, I believe when you do this stuff, people listening, and as you said at the beginning, and this is what we'll close with, if one person, if one's person's life is saved because, or changed, let's not say saved, changed for the better because listening to this episode, it's all been worth it. And it's been worth it to do for the last eight years then, um, outside of everything else. So Zach Clark, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being honest. Thanks for talking to us. We appreciate it. Um, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks guys. If I can help you in any way, let me know. It's great to see you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Peace. Bye. Bye. This has been a important, incredible, fantastic, uh, honest, vulnerable, uh, interesting conversation with Zach Clark. It's the off season here at the almost famous podcast, but doesn't mean we're going to be away. We'll be back. Uh, putting out new episodes and new content for all of you and for us um, until The Golden Bachelor starts and Bachelor in Paradise starts. So until next time, I've been Ben. I've been Ashley. Bye, guys. Follow the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Ben. And it's Ashley, and we want to let you know that choking is the fourth leading cause of accidental deaths. LifeVac is the easiest, safest, and only non-invasive choking rescue device that can save the life of your loved one. Visit LifeVac.net and enter promo code ALMOSTFAMOUS to save 20% and secure your home kit today. That's LifeVac.net and enter promo code ALMOSTFAMOUS. Ashley, is it true that some contestants have cashed in their 401k to afford a new wardrobe for The Bachelor? I mean, you do need a lot of ball gowns when you think about it, Ben. Where did you hear this? On Smart Money Happy Hour. It's a podcast where two money experts, Rachel Cruz and George Camel, talk totally unfiltered about life, pop culture, and how to afford it all. With 90s nostalgia and reality TV fandom mixed in, of course. Ooh, you do not have to say more to get me into this. To check it out, you can search Smart Money Happy Hour and listen wherever you get your podcasts. What keeps baby skin healthy? A diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. That's why Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin healthy and dry. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. Free and Gentle cleans better without risk of tearing. 
It's made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess and is five times stronger. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. 